Can you make some noise if you are ready for the word today? All right, come on. I know you got more than that in you, okay? I need you to make some noise if you're ready for the word today. I'm going to need all the help that I can get from you guys today because on a typical Elevate City Sunday, we're about four songs into a praise party before I get up here to preach. And uh, we're only two in today. And so I'm going to need y'all to preach back at me and be with me. We're switching things up today, doing things a little bit different. And I think you'll see why in just a second. Hey, for those of you tuning in online, we want to welcome you. Can we show some love for our online audience? Those of you who do in church online, we are so pumped that you are watching and engaging in a part of this community. Um, if you haven't yet, I want to give you an opportunity to share this stream. Let me hear you say, share this stream. I want you guys to know that Psalm 7,789 says that you will make the HGTV Heaven Edition if you share social streams, okay? So if you want to meet the Archangel Joanna, then you're going to want to... You get it, Joanna Gaines. All right, you're going to want to share this stream. There's somebody in your life, in your sphere, in your world who needs to hear what we're going to be talking about today, and they're not going to hear it unless you share. Say, share it one more time. That's what I'm talking about, people. Um, I'm pretty pumped about what the, the message that I've got for you guys today. A couple of weeks ago, we were closing out a series titled End the Epidemic. How many of you guys were here for End the Epidemic? That was way back when we were in the movie theater. How many of y'all missed the movie theater's comfy seats? Hello, praise God, check up the deuces, all right? Love the days of the movie theater seats, but pumped to be at the Marriott. But our last message there, our last, the, the last message that I preached, I said this statement in that message that just to be honest, I haven't been able to shake. Like I haven't been able to get it out of my mind and, and the team as well. Uh, it's just something that we cannot like let go of. It has become the topic of so many of our meetings. It is the primary content of most of our prayers. And it's really what's led us to where we're at today. And this is what I said. I said that the early church, we do occasionally what the early church did regularly, which is why we live normally and they lived miraculously. Then I said this, I said, the early church was devoted, today's church dabbles. And ever since then, I haven't been able to stop thinking about what it might look like and what might happen if we were devoted. What would happen if we really were devoted? If this wasn't just some extracurricular activity, if this wasn't just some option or some obligation, but this was devotion, this was lifeblood. If this movement for us was like breathing, what would happen if we were really devoted? And so I wanna spend the next 1100 weeks talking to you about this idea of being devoted. I really don't know how long this series is gonna go, Usually we've got like an end goal. We're like three weeks, four weeks, six weeks. I don't know, maybe a million weeks. Because what I look at the church today, the thing that I see lacking the most is devotion. You know, Pastor John Mark Comer, who's the pastor of a church out in Portland, he pastors Bridgetown Church. He said this quote this week that I saw and I loved it. He said, cultural Christianity is burning up. And all that's left is a resilient, super robust discipleship to Jesus. Man, I hope he's right. You know, one of the things that is um, very clear 
that is a result of this pandemic that we've been living in is that church attendance has drastically decreased, drastically decreased. And I believe that as church attendance decreases, it's time for devotion to increase, amen? That as churches get smaller, it's time for the rest of us who are left standing to have a bigger level of devotion. This is called a remnant theology. Let me hear you say remnant theology. All throughout the Bible and all throughout history, every time that our movement shrinks, and it happens periodically as you study the story of the Hebrew people, the nation of Israel, as they journey through the desert and as they fight wars and as they're given to idols, the movement shrinks at times. And you see it happen throughout history as secularism invades, as new ageism invades, as the industrial revolution invades, there tends to be this shrinking within the church. But then there is this core. There is this remnant, there is this group who are still left standing, still left worshiping, still left believing. And what happens is they begin to recapture a passion for the things of God that looks to the rest of the world like their treasure is actually in heaven. Something starts to happen where they start to live for the glory of God and the majesty of God and the fame of the name of God that the rest of the world has to take notice. And people start to wake up again to the goodness and to the reality of King Jesus in Elevate City. I think we've got a shot to be those people. Amen. I believe that coming out of this, coming out of COVID, coming out of the pandemic, there's going to be a world who is watching the church and seeing who we're going to become and what the church is going to look like. And what I think that they're looking for is not another great slogan or not a humanitarian organization. I think what they're looking for is devotion. Do you really believe this stuff now? Does this really matter? Is this legit? Is there more to it than a pep rally? Is there more to it than a religious obligation? Are you devoted? And so today we kick off a collection of talks titled Devoted. Real creative, I know. Turn to your neighbor and say, I am devoted. To what is the question? We are all devoted to something. To be devoted is just to give a large sum of your life or your talents or your money to something, to give some of a large portion or all of it to something. What are you devoted to today? What I want to do is I want to look at what the early church was devoted to. And I think that as we study what the early church was devoted to and we see the ripple effects of that devotion, I want us to begin to ask the question, what would happen if we had the same measure of devotion to the same kinds of things that they did? And maybe more importantly, what's going to happen if we don't? So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to pick up this story in verse 42. If you've uh, ever heard a small group pastor, like a groups pastor, somebody who's in small groups preach, this is the only verse in the Bible they know, okay? Acts chapter 2, verse 42, this is what it says. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now that's the teaching the Bible, the explaining of Scripture, the preaching, the proclamation of the gospel. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. That's being together. They prioritized being together and being like brothers, being like sisters, being like family. That's that word fellowship. 
to the breaking of bread. Now that's communion. That's not just to the breaking of bread like, okay, they ate together. No, no, that's actually the art of communion, of remembering Jesus' sacrifice, remembering what he did on the cross. They did this consistently when they got together. They would do communion to remember what God had done. So the communion and the prayers, that's, that's prayer. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, another expression of devotion, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Today, I want to talk about where I think the foundation of your devotion should lie. I want to talk about what the foundation of the church's devotion should be. Today, I want to talk about worship. And the title for my message today is going to be a little bit unique. It's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be maybe a little bit unexpected. Maybe not as unique as it's going to get weird. Y'all remember that message? Maybe not that unique, but pretty unique. If you've been in church circles for long enough and you've heard people talk about worship, you've undoubtedly heard this phrase, worship is a weapon. By show of hands, who's, who's heard that phrase, that worship is a weapon? And that phrase is true. But I want to take that phrase a step further today because I don't believe that worship is just the weapon that wins the war. I believe that worship is the war. I want to preach a message for you today titled, Worship is the War. Now tell me that doesn't change how you see what happens when we're singing. Worship is the war. Don't sleep on what's happening when we sing, church. Now, here's what I know to be true, is that a lot of us come in today with a lot of baggage around worship because we grew up in different traditions, right? People grew up in different kind of churches. Like by show of hands, how many of you maybe like grew up Baptist? Grew up Baptist? Most of y'all in the back row, right? Back row, recovering, in recovery, in therapy. All right, what about Catholics? How many of you grew up Catholic? You don't even know if any of this is allowed, right? You're like, is this even, are we even at church? What is happening, right? All right, what about Pentecostal? Who grew up Pentecostal? Yeah, you, knew, you know where they are. They make some noise real quick. They're probably in the back of the room dancing, right? You always know where the Pentecostal peeps are. We've got a lot of baggage. We come from a lot of different places on worship, but here's what I know. No matter what your emotion is towards worship, your devotion to worship must increase. It's got to increase your devotion and your commitment to worship. Now, I grew up what you call Bapticostal, okay? Bapticostal. So I grew up Baptist, Baptist theology, but our church was pretty expressive, okay? So we'd have some Holy Ghost parties real quick, all right? And I remember very clearly some of these, like, revival services and church services and hand motions to worship songs. Like, I remember it. Our church was great. I grew up in the 90s. Any 90s kids in the house today? Yeah, the greatest decade that's ever been. I love the 90s. Okay, and I grew up in the 90s, and so one of my favorite songs um, was All Star by Smash Mouth. Anybody remember that? Y'all, I was so Christian. I was such a church kid that I rewrote the lyrics to All Star and made it a worship song. 
hey now, I'm a Christian. Do you want to get saved? And then you know the line at the end where it's like, all that glitter is gold, only shooting stars break the mold. I was like, don't you know hell's not cold? Jesus Christ will make you bold. <laughs> it was bad, y'all. Listen, the reason that I believe in the sovereignty of God is because we did stuff like that in the church in the 90s and people still got saved, okay? That's how I know that God is sovereign, that salvation belongs to the Lord. There was this one time that I went to this uh, youth revival. It was called Jam. Let me hear you say Jam. Jam. And at Jam, a group of teenagers got on the ground and spelled out Jam with their bodies. Like it was, they were laying on the ground and it was Jam. And it stood for Jesus and me, okay? Some weird stuff was happening in the 90s. But I loved it. And it's, it's the decade that I was in that I learned how to worship. I remember walking through the halls of my church and I was, I was singing probably, Lord, prepare me. To be a sanctuary. Y'all remember this song? You find the church people real quick today. So I'm singing it, and I'm singing it at the top of my lungs. I don't know if you can tell or not, but I'm pretty bold. And so I'm singing it, and my children's pastor, his name was Daryl Cheek. He's probably not a Christian anymore. He uh, comes up to me and he goes, Joby McLaughlin, what is that? I said, I'm singing to the Lord. He goes, bro, I don't know what that is. I, I said, Daryl, the Bible says to make a joyful noise to the Lord. He goes, I don't know what that is, but it sure as heck ain't joyful, okay? <laughs> but I sung, man. I was passionate about worship and passionate about experiencing God and passionate about knowing God. And, and I know this is the point in the service where, like, people who are really theological are like, well, brother, you know that worship isn't just singing, don't you? You know that worship's a whole lot more than singing. And listen, you're right. You're absolutely positively right. But worship is not less than singing. You know that, right? It may be more than singing, but it is certainly not less than singing. Did you know that 99 times in the book of Psalms, God says sing. 99 times he says sing, dance, make music unto the Lord. So I got 99 times that the Lord tells me to sing and not singing ain't a problem. For those of you who caught the Jay-Z reference there, you're in the advanced class. God 99 times tells us to sing. It's kind of like it's his love language. Like it's the way that he wants us to love on him and show him affection and adoration and that we care. God loves it when we sing. But let me tell you, worship is certainly more than just singing. I want to give you my favorite definition for worship. It's super simple because there's so much ambiguity around worship and what it is and what it isn't. And are we talking about singing? Are we talking about living? Are we talking about our life? This is what worship is. Worship is our active pursuit to show God's worth. Worship is our active pursuit to show God's worth. Worship is us saying that we want to live a life where every single day, the things that we do and the things that we say and how we sing, shows the world how worthy he is. This is what was happening in Acts chapter two. I don't know if you missed it. There are two little words hidden in this chapter that preachers hardly ever talk about, that people hardly ever double down on and really see as significant as they are. Acts chapter two, verse 46, it says, and day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being 
saved. For the early church, praising God was primary. They're going to the temple. Why? Why are they going to the temple day by day? Why are they getting together in each other's homes every single day to break communion? Why is church for them not just on Sunday, but it's Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday? Why are they submitting to the apostles' teachings, trying to study the word and submit their lives to a new way of life? Why are they giving so generously to those who don't have anything? Why? They're doing it for worship. They're doing it to praise God, to honor God, to submit to God, to rely on God, to press into God. Because they knew something that I think that so many of us miss. They knew that the depth of the church's impact will not surpass the devotion of the church's worship. The depth of the church's impact will not surpass the devotion of the church's worship. Did you see that it was praising God and enjoying favor with all people? The city coming out to see what happens starts with what's happening in us. And until worship becomes the war, the primary war that we're fighting each and every day, the thing that we see as most significant, we're never going to lead a movement that wakes up a stagnant world to the greatness of our Savior. It's not going to happen. Can you imagine being some of these men? Your teacher, your rabbi, your best friend, the one who you think is God incarnate, God in flesh, he, you saw him. You saw him hanging on the cross. You saw him bleeding, struggling to catch another breath. You saw him die. You saw him die on Friday. And then you saw him living and breathing and walking and teaching on Sunday. And the thing that he taught is that resurrection is possible for you too. If you got that news, you can't tell me you would have quit your job too. You can't tell me that you would just show up for work on Monday as normal, that you would just go Tuesday as usual. You wouldn't. It would reorganize and recategorize and reprioritize everything about your life. So that's what happens for these men. They start to reject everything because they know that someday that they're going to inherit something that is better than this world could ever offer. So they start to live towards eternity. They start to reject the temporary. They start to press into the presence of God because they know that his presence is the place of power and that they've been given this mission. They've been given this mantle. They've been given this call to change the world, and there is no way we can do it without him. It's impossible to do it without him. And so they begin to press in. Our impact on people will never su supersede our devotion to God's presence. It just never will. If we lose the war to prioritize the worship of God above everything else, we're just going to lose. Because devotion to worship feels devotion to everything else. You can't miss that today. Your devotion to worship God is going to feel your devotion to everything else in the Christian life. If you miss worship, you're gonna miss, you're, you're gonna miss Bible study. You're, gonna, you're just gonna miss all of it. You're gonna miss mission. I love the way that John Piper talks about it. This dude's just way smarter than me, okay? This is what he says. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Uh-oh. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When the age is over 
and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and the goal of missions. Worship is the fuel of missions. Passion for God in worship precedes the offer of God in preaching. You can't commend what you don't cherish. You can't preach what you don't prize. Missionaries will never call out, let the nations be glad if they cannot say from their heart, I rejoice in the Lord. Worship is the war because worship prepares us for every other battle. Let me ask you, how many of you guys missed worshiping together this year? In the midst of the pandemic, when you were forced into your home and you were forced to socially distance and isolate, and we couldn't do this. We couldn't gather in public spheres and public sectors like this together as the body of Christ to lift up the name of Jesus. How much did you miss it? Did you just love doing church with your kids right next to you in the living room? If you... Uh, that's how you know there's not a lot of people with kids in the house today, okay? Because the answer is no. Everybody likes the idea of family worship until your kid is upside down doing somersaults while you're trying to praise the Lord. Your kid is just throwing blocks at you while you're trying to study the Bible. It's not a fun time. I missed, man, we've heard as people come back to church, it's one of the things that we've heard the most. I've missed this so much. I didn't realize how much... I needed this. Do you know why? Because there is power in public praise. There is power in public praise. Like, I want for you to think about this for a second. That You know that in China, that there have been underground churches who have been meeting illegally for years. For years. Don't you think that if it was possible for them to figure out a way to do Christianity without meeting together to praise God and to study his word and to be with his people that they would have figured it out by now? Do you think that they would continue to meet together in secret, in private, at risk for their lives if we didn't need this stuff? <laughs> I think about Jesus. Jesus in a Matthew 18, he says this. He says, where two or three are gathered, I am there also. It's this promise that he's made us that when two or three people get together, that he is there amongst us. And so if he's there with two or three people, how much more is he there with two or 300 people or two or 3,000 people? How much more might he show up? What more might he show us? Now, I'm not saying that bigger is always better, but I am saying that corporate worship is crucial corporate worship, us worshiping together as the family of God, as the body of God, of, of making it a habit, of making it a priority, of saying that it is foundational and fundamental and necessary. It's very, very important. Do you notice how many times this passage says together? I want for you to look back at Acts chapter 2 real quick, just with your own eyes, and look at how many times it says together. It's they were together, and they were together, and the believers were together. And this, this isn't a by myself kind of thing. You ever hear that guy who's like, you know, I know, nobody says that the church has to be in a building. I'll just do church by myself wherever I am. Do you know the problem with that? The Bible. That's the problem with that. It's great in theory, bad in theology. The church is an us thing, a we thing, a together thing. I want to say this, and 
this, I, I, I don't want you to miss this part. This like just, oh man, it struck me to my core this week. If you don't have a longing to be with other believers to worship God, it's without a doubt because you're not living boldly enough with those who don't. When you live a life that is poured out to show people the worth of God, when every day of your life is about magnifying the name of Jesus, when you're in the trenches of trying to love really broken people, really difficult people, when, when you're sitting across from people who are wrestling through their doubts and the, their seeming inconsistencies that they see in the Bible and they're asking questions, and when, when you're entrenched amongst sinners, amongst people who have different ideologies than you, who see God through a completely different set of lenses, they don't even know if he's real. When, when, when you're in the thick of trying to love people who feel almost unlovable, when you're trying to search for lost people and bring them back home, when you're taking every opportunity that every door that opens to share the gospel, to tell people the good news of Jesus, and when you're trying to kick down doors when they're not open, when, when you're living like this, I can guarantee you that the last thing that you're running away from is being with the people of God. It is the thing you're running towards. When, when that's your week, when your week is pour myself out, make Jesus famous, love these people who are hard to love, show people the goodness of God, show them that he's real, show them that he's alive, show them that he's not an idea. When it's, I want to give all of me so that you can see all of him, all you want is more of him. All you want to do is go and get around people who believe like you and who think like you. You want to get with the people of God in the presence of God to experience and receive the goodness of God. One of the reasons we do, are not devoted to worship is because we don't understand worship's necessity for mission. And it's also because we're not pouring ourselves out. You know, this is what the early church was doing. They were pouring themselves out and they desperately needed to be filled back up. Worship is a two-way street. You know that, right? In worship, two things happen. In worship, we give God glory. That's what we're doing. That's the fundamental of worship, and it's in every area of your life. That I'm giving God glory. I'm showing that he's great. I'm showing that he's bigger. I'm showing that he's enough. I'm showing that he matters. In worship, two things happen. You give God glory, and you and I get guts. We get guts. We get belief. We get faith. We get conviction, we get confirmation. We begin to remember when we worship God, he brings things back up in our soul that we've forgotten and it allows us to keep walking forward. This is what's happening in worship is that God gets glory and you and I get guts. You know how, you know how music can take you back? Y'all feel me on this? Like music can take you back. Like you can hear a song and it just takes you right back to a moment in time. Like I'm telling you right now that if NSYNC Bye 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 played, I would be back to my middle school talent show just. Y'all thought I was gonna sing, didn't you? You thought. Bye, 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 what's about to come out? It just, music takes you back, doesn't it? Like you could play All My Life by the band Perry. It's the song that was any country music fans? No, okay. All right, so it's the song that was played when I proposed to my wife. And I just, I feel like I'm on my knee all over again. You could play I Want to Dance with Somebody by Whitney Houston. And all of a sudden I'm like in my foyer at my old house with my daughter singing, oh, I want to dance with my Raleigh. Yeah, it's pretty sweet, isn't it? I'm a great dad. 
but it just takes you back, doesn't it? Music has a way of taking you back. Worship has a way of moving you forward. When we worship together as the people of God, it gives us the strength to take another step, to keep on going, to do the difficult thing. When we press into the bigness of God, we remember how small and insignificant and doesn't matter this world is. Our eyes get calibrated for eternity. Our hearts start to beat fast for heaven. That's what's happening in worship. You know, one of my favorite stories of worship in the early church, guys, I'm preaching today. I just want you to know is, um. Acts chapter 16, in Acts chapter 16, we see Paul and Silas have a praise party in prison. This is what it says, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Now, if you know the story, you know that they had been doing a good thing for a just man, and they got thrown in prison for it. They are in the wrong place for doing the right thing. I'm preaching for somebody right now. Some of you are looking at your life and it's not going the way you want it to. Things aren't turning out and you're like, I'm doing everything right. God, I'm being faithful to you. I'm loving you. I'm being obedient to your call. I've, I've been nothing but faithful and I feel like I'm in the wrong place. And I'm here to tell you today that oftentimes that's a sign of your faith, not a sign of you not having faith. You know, if you don't have any adversity in your life, you should ask whether or not you are pressing into faith enough. God honors people who walk with him and who trust him oftentimes with adversity. And so here they are in prison. And what do they do? They sing. They start to sing. Because don't you know that it is in the darkest nights when you need to sing the loudest? It is when you feel the loneliest, when belief is at the very bottom, when you need this stuff the most. You know, I am always singing to God in worship, but sometimes I'm singing for you. I want for you to think about this for a second. I am always, and you should always, be singing to God in worship, living for God in worship, but sometimes you should be singing for people. Here's what I mean by that. Do you know what is so beautiful about worshiping together, about being a part of a faith family where you don't just kind of come on Sunday and then dip out, but you're really known, you're really connected in, you're really planted in community, you're in a group and people know your story and they know your struggles and they're praying for you and carrying your burdens and you're growing together. It's not just a pep rally, but it's a, it's a family that you're part of. You know the beauty of that? That when we show up here on Sunday to celebrate, to grow, to worship, we know each other's stories. Now, let me tell you why that's so powerful. Because when I can look across the room and I can see a man who lost his job lifting his hand to Jesus, when I can look across the room and I can see a mom who lost her kid lifting her hand to Jesus, when I can look across the room and see somebody who wants to be married but isn't married on their face praising God, do you know what it does? It does something for my soul. It may give God glory, but it gives me passion to keep on going. When you look and you know people, the fact that they're battling these sins, but they're still praising, that they've got all the doubts in their world, but they're still pressing in, that their family's a mess, but that they're surrendering to the living God. It has a way of recalibrating and reframing and shifting your situation. And so sometimes, even when I don't feel like singing, even when I don't feel like worshiping, I'm going to give my all for you so that you can see that even when my situation isn't what I want it to be, that he is enough. Yeah. That none of the things that happen on this earth are better than him. Yeah. 
That's the kind of people that I want us to be. That's why I think that worship matters so much. But it's more than singing. Oh, you best believe it is more than singing. Worship is a war. Worship is a war, and it's a war that's fought like this. It's a war that's fought like reading my Bible when my flesh is in conflict with it. Tell me that doesn't feel like a war. I don't want to read the Bible. I know it's going to tell me that I need to do things and that I need to think away and that I need to leave this sin, that I need to walk out of this relationship, that this isn't how God has designed it to work. I know that he's going to tell me to, to leave alcohol. I know that he's going to tell me to stop looking at that stuff on the Internet. I know he's going to tell me to come honest and come clean. I know he's going to tell me that I need to love people and forgive people. I know he's going to deal with my pride. I don't want to do it, but I press in and I read and I study. That's war. And that war to lean in when you don't want to is worship. It's a war. Worship is a war. When you don't want to tell that person about Jesus, you know, I need to tell him. I need to say something. I need to invite him. I need to extend an invitation. Oh, my gosh, my pride is growing. My insecurities are screaming, but you do it anyways. You're fighting. That's worship. That's, God, you matter more than this. It's praying when you're all alone in your apartment, all by yourself, and you want so badly to be with someone, that secret one, that unicorn, where are they? And you get on your face and you pray and you press into his presence. That's the war. And that's worship that shows the world how worthy he is. We feel the war in giving, don't we? It's a war when, when we're at our wit's end, when we don't have enough money to get to the end of the month, but we choose to give anyways. We don't choose to give out of abundance, but we choose to give out a sacrifice. That's a war. I've got less money and more bills, but I'm giving anyways because I've got kingdom priorities. That's a war. That's why you feel it so deeply in your soul right now, and it's worship. It's worship. You know, sometimes in life, we get a bad case of the feelings. You ever had a bad case of the feeling? I don't feel like it. I don't feel like going to the gym. I don't feel like eating healthy. I don't feel like getting up. I don't feel like taking another step. Worship, what happens in worship is we overcome how we feel with what we believe when we worship. So you feel a certain way, but then as you worship, those emotions and those feelings start to change. And here's why, because praise shifts perspective. Praise shifts perspective. It doesn't always change your situation. That's one of the hard parts about worship as a weapon. I'm not saying that sometimes praise won't change your situation, but praise will always change your perspective. It will always cause you to see yourself in rightful light and to order your life correctly. This is one of the really foundational uh, parts of this today that I can't have you miss. Worship is the war because worship reminds us that we are not the point. We live in a self-everything culture, self-help, self-actualization, me time. You're enough. You're good. Worship is this one thing that you do that is all about giving glory to another. Worship is this reminder that I am not the lead character of this story, that I am not the central focus of this, uh, 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 of my life, that I am trying to use my life, not so that a light shines on me, but so that I can shine a beaming light on the one who it's all about. You know, I love that story where 
Paul and Silas begin to sing and the prison doors get open and you know they go free and some prisoners go free and they're all scared because they're like oh we're gonna die it's this but it's this freedom thing that happens worship leads to freedom and the thing that I think it frees you from the most is yourself from being in prison to this lie that life is supposed to be all about you. Do you not see that until you get over that lie, you will never live for the truth of God? Until you stop believing that my life is about me and my enjoyment, my pleasure, my, it's not, it's about him. And worship reminds you of that, that he is the one, he is worthy, he's on the throne, he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the one who was and is and who is to come. Worship reminds us that we are not the point. I don't know about you, but I am prone to wonder. Prone to leave the God I love. This old hymn. In worship, I'm saying, God, here, take my heart. Seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Do not let what is happening in these moments on this temporary planet called earth hijack what I want and long for most. This is one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot. That the older I get, the closer to death I get, closer to heaven I get, I want my life here to look like what I'll be doing there. So think about it. Think about heaven and what it's going to be like and this enjoyment of the glory of God and this praise to the greatness of God and this sitting in the presence of God. Like I want my life here to be like having the heart of David where I go, one thing I ask, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I may gaze upon his beauty and that I may seek him in his temple, that as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul longs for God. David prays things like, when can I go and meet with God? When can I be with God? When can I leave all of this behind and just be in his presence? Where's that in us? If we don't have a longing for worship, I don't know if we're gonna like heaven. <laughs> if we don't love worshiping God, making much of God, honoring God, celebrating God, looking at God, living for God, I don't know that we're gonna like heaven because heaven is a place that is all about Him. Yeah. Worship, worship looks like this. When I wake up, I'm thinking about God. And before I go to sleep, I'm thinking about God. <laughs> and when I'm eating my breakfast, I'm thinking about God. And when I'm making dinner, I'm thinking about God. And when I'm riding in the car, I'm thinking about God. And when I get confronted with controversy, I'm thinking about God. And when I'm raising my kids, I'm thinking about God. And when I'm watching Netflix, I'm thinking about where's God in the midst of all of this, you know? <laughs> Worship is like trying to get to this place where you're your mind is constantly preoccupied with God and his goodness. And you are in this ever increasing exercise of trying to connect all of the dots of life back to him. This is really beautiful stuff. Like I'm trying to disciple you right now. I'm trying to get you to start thinking like when, you, when, when you're going through the motions of your life, when you have a hard interaction with a friend or when you take a bite of delicious food or when you see something that's really gorgeous or when you go through something that's really difficult, how does your mind very quickly go back to God and what he says and God and what he wants to do and God and how he's working? That's worship, where I can't see life and not see him. I love what C.S. Lewis talks about. He says, I don't believe, um, he talks about believing in God um, like he believes in the sun. Not because he can see the sun, but because by the sun he sees all things. And that's worship. 
where you get to a point in your life where I see God and his working and his connectivity and his centeredness in all of this. That is our goal. That is our heartbeat for us to worship like that. You know, no one, no one goes to the Rocky Mountains. They look at the Rocky Mountains, how big they are. Anybody ever been to Colorado before? Like $33 on a budget airline right now to get there, okay? It's hard for me to be here with you people, okay? I want to I wanna be there worshiping God in Colorado, okay? If you've ever gone and you see the mountains and their bigness and you stand before them, there's this act of worship that happens because you struggle to catch your breath and you just realize that you're really small. I've never heard somebody who goes to the Rocky Mountains and they're like, well, you know, I can bench, bench press 225. <laughs> Nobody's focused on themselves. Nobody's bragging about their accomplishments when they stand next to the Rocky Mountains. That is what is happening in worship. We're going, okay, forget, forget about my job and forget about how much money I have and forget about how big my house is or isn't. And let me think about the one who this is all about in the first place. This is worship. This is why it's so primary. This is why it's so important. This is why our mind should be directed towards worship. Psalm 22, three, changed, changed my life when I saw this verse. It says this, it says, yet you are holy enthroned on the praises of your people. God is enthroned upon the praises of his people. Simple translation, what you and I do in worship builds a seat for the king to sit on. And I want for you to think about this for a second, this imagery in your mind. Imagine that an artist, imagine that a craftsman looked in on your life, somebody who was a woodworker, and they looked at your worship, they looked at your coming and your going, your eating and your sleeping, your singing, your Bible reading, your, your whole life and what it says and, and the demonstration of worship that it is. And they said, okay, I'm gonna look at how you worship and I'm gonna build a throne in light of that. What kind of seat would God sit on if his throne was built off your life? Would it be a seat that is beautiful and big and expressive and demonstrative and sacrificial and clear? Would you burn the ships? Would you cut down forests? Would you search the ends of the earth for jewels to decorate and adorn it with? What kind of seat does your praise say that the king sits on? This is crazy. When you start to go, oh, I get it. What's happening in here and what's happening out there, what's happening in my life? It's this demonstration to the world of how worthy he is. That's what's happening in worship. How is the world ever going to know that Jesus is the treasure that their heart is after when it looks like the new computer toy is? How is, how is the world ever gonna know that there is no place like his presence when we wanna be anywhere but it? How are they going to know that eternity with God is better than anything else when we would rather be at the beach than with the people of God? I, I'm not telling you you can never take a vacation. I'm not telling you you can never miss church. I'm just saying there was this devotion in the early church that seems far removed from us. And what might the world start to say? How might the world start to respond if we started to take this stuff seriously once again? If we started to go, oh wow, worship is the war. Worship is me dredging through and fighting through all of the things that society and that culture and that my flesh tells me that matters. And it's getting my eyes on the one thing that does. It's 
practicing for eternity. It's having a dress rehearsal for heaven. That's what I'm trying to do when I worship. You know, worship is supposed to be big. It's supposed to be expressive. It's supposed to be demonstrative. Um, my mentor, his name's Ryan Rohan, and he tells his stories. One of my favorite stories, and um, he was a uh, he was what I'll call missionary dating at the time. Anybody know what missionary dating is? All right, missionary dating, for those of you who are new to this, is when you're a Christian, the girl that you like is real hot, but she's not, okay? And so you'll date her convincing yourself, like, I'm gonna lead her to Jesus, when really you're just trying to lead her to the bedroom, you know what I'm saying? So that's really what's going on, but you convince yourself, you know, like I'm, I want her to fall in love with the Lord. So like I'll date her, even though, you know, the Bible says do not be yoked together with unbelievers. And so, so he's missionary dating this girl, right? So she's not a Christian, but he brings her to church. And so they go to church and, you know, they kind of go through a church service and there's singing and then there's announcements and then there's singing and then there's the message. And so they go through the first singing and the announcements and then they start to sing again. And the girl turns to my friend Ryan, who's not a Christian, and she goes, what are we doing right now? She'd literally never been in church before. Well, what's all this about? He goes, well, <laughs> this, is, this is called worship. This is where we worship God. It's where we sing to him. We worship him, tell him how, how thankful we are, how much he's worthy, how grateful we are for you know, all the things that we've done in his life. This is what we give back to him because of everything that he's given to us. He sent his son to die for us on the cross, made a way for us to be in right relationship with him. His, his son literally had the most gruesome, horrific death that you could ever imagine. He just suffocated on his own blood, nine inch nails driven through his hand. He took your sin and my sin, all the wrong and the shame that you've done and that I've done. He just held it in his body on the cross. He died there. God gave everything for us. And so this is, the, this is our opportunity to give God back in worship. Up and she goes, oh, why aren't people more excited? <laughs> you see, the outside world looks in on our demonstration of devotion, and oftentimes they wonder, why aren't they more excited? Why don't they give more? If this is real, if they really believe that God gave up everything, this is what they're going to bring? It doesn't make sense. And what I'm asking for, what I'm looking for is a community who wants to live a life that makes sense in light of what God has given for us. I want for our worship to just be in some category, some hemisphere, some stratosphere of reality in light of what he's done for us. That when we look at the cross, when we look at what he's given, when we look at what he's laid down, when we look at every good and perfect gift is from above, that all that we have, all that we've been given, and all that we're going to have every day of our life was marked out by him, that he sustains every breath. He knit us together in our mother's womb. I want us to look at that and just for our worship to feel like it's got some measure, some ounce of devotion in it. I think that if it did, the world might take notice. You know, there are some crazy words in the Bible for worship. <laughs> some crazy words. You know, we translate like worship and praise, but the word praise in the Hebrew has seven different translations throughout the Psalms. I'm going to run through these real quick just for education so that you can know. This is like DTR. Any of y'all remember DTR? It's like you'd be on like MySpace or AOL Instant Messenger. You'd be like ASL, age, sex, and location. And then you'd, y'all remember this, right? It's a flashback. I'm taking you back right now. And so, you know, you'd be chatting with somebody and, you know, find out all this stuff. And then you'd keep on chatting. You'd like save, the, like you'd put their screen name and your screen name. It's just awesome. And then you would be like DTR. 
define the relationship, you know? Like, what are we? Are we friends? Are we just chat buddies? What's going on? So God defines the relationship. He goes, I want for you to worship me like this. A lot of us, we just think, oh, we can worship God however we want to. And there is freedom and expression, but he's actually given us real clarity in how he wants us to worship him. So hear the words, yada. Let me hear you say yada. And this literally means the extended hand to throw out the hand to worship the extended with extended hand. So like this right here, uh, that, God goes, I like that. I'm into that. And he created you. He literally wired it within you. Like some of y'all, you're like in church and like, this is your posture. You're very, very Presbyterian, you know? Y'all didn't get a shout out earlier. It was coming. <laughs> you're just like, this is where I stay. <laughs> God likes this, and you know, he wired you like that. That's, that's why at, at a basketball game, when your favorite team hits a winning three, you just, you do it. Like, you don't even gotta think about it. You're just so overcome with emotion of what's happened that you extended arm, throw it out there. God likes that stuff. He goes on, he says, ta-da. Let me hear you say, ta-da. It's my favorite translation of it. And it means an extension of hand in adoration, acceptance, or confession. So sometimes like when you see some of the people in the room going like that, they're going, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, I accept that. Or yeah, I need that. Sometimes it looks like that. I receive that. I struggle to believe that, but I'm going to take it in. And God goes, I like that. I like it when you come to me with open, lifted hands, willing to receive because you're giving me glory and I'm going to give you guts. I'm going to give you belief. I'm going to give you faith to keep moving forward. He goes, I like that says Shabbat. Let me hear you say Shabbat. And Shabbat literally means to shout, to address in a loud tone, to command, to triumph. It gets a little rowdy in here. We lift up our voices in here. We turn up the volume in here because I guess God's deaf. I don't know. But he likes it. He likes it when we get loud. He likes it when we get expressive. He likes it when we get a little rowdy. Next one is Barak. Let me hear you say Barak. Not Obama. Barak means to kneel down. To bless God as an act of adoration. Tell me, is there a more humble posture in life than this one right here? I long for a church where people get on their knees often in worship. Where people care less about what's going on around them and more about what's happening within them. And that that's God is great and greatly to be praised. And the fact that we are in his presence right now is the most precious place on earth. I long for a church that looks like this. There's zamar, which means to pluck with strings and play an instrument, to sing or to praise. There's prescano, which means to lick like a dog, which that's a really weird one. Please don't do that. They're all... But it's in here, man, we could go on for days. I could, I could literally preach all day on this about worship and what worship is and what worship looks like. But I, I really wanna close with this idea. We wonder why we struggle to be bold on the streets when we care so much about what we think in worship. We are always going to struggle to be bold out there when we care what our brothers and sisters think in here. Until this place becomes a place of freedom and a place of realizing that we're here for one person and for one thing, and that's to lift high the name of Jesus, we're never going to be a movement that wakes our city to see his greatness. It's not going to happen. You know, Jesus, before he 
fought the greatest battle that's ever been fought, the battle for your soul and for my soul, the battle against sin, the battle for life, the battle on the cross. Did you know he worshiped? It's so subtle. It's, it's so often missed within scripture. But look at what Matthew 26 says. Matthew 26, verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of of olives. Do you know that what you do in private paves the way for what happens in public? What happened in Gethsemane where Jesus prayed and sung a hymn paved the way for what was going to happen on Calvary when he was going to lay down it all. Him worshiping laid the foundation for him to go to war for you and I. And in the same way, us worshiping God is gonna let, pave the way for us to go to war for this world. We need worship more than we need anything else. We need to be reminded what God has done for us and how God has fought for us. We need our perspective to be shifted by praise. We need to be devoted to our lives being about shining, shining a beaming light on the God of the universe. This is what we desperately need. We need for when we gather together to sing songs and to lift high the name of Jesus, for us to just be reminded, for us to go back to places of God's faithfulness where we remember that the truest thing about us isn't what's happened, isn't what we've done, but it's who he is. Where we begin to remember that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes where we begin to believe his promises. You know what they did before they sung a hymn? They took communion. Jesus got with his disciples and they broke bread and he took wine and he said, this is my body that's broken for you. And this is my blood that's shed for you. And I want for you to do this all the time as an act of worship to remember how much I love you. And so I want us to do this today. I want for you to find that your communion cup, wherever you are, if you're watching online, if you can find some coffee and a donut, it'll do. <laughs> but I want for us to take just a holy moment. And this is what we're gonna do. This is what you can expect all throughout this devoted series. We're gonna do this every week. Every week, we're gonna take communion together. We're gonna remember what God has done because the, the early church was devoted to doing it day by day. And so we want to be devoted. We wanna be devoted to remembering the sacrifice that Christ made. We wanna be devoted to leaning in and remember what he achieved by shedding his blood. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want for you to know that I don't know why you came in here today and I don't know what your life has been like up to this point in this moment, but I want for you to know that Jesus loves you, that Jesus died for you, that Jesus took your sin upon the cross, that 2,000 years ago on Calvary, he gave up everything to make you his, to get you back home. And that's why we sing, that's why we show up, that's why we press in, that's why we're devoted, because he went all in for us. If you don't know this yet, if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you didn't know there was another way to be human, if you didn't know there was another way to go through this thing called life, if you didn't know that life wasn't about you, but that life was supposed to be all about him, and today you wanna to surrender to that, I wanna give you an opportunity. You may have come here today out of some religious obligation. Maybe somebody tricked you, I don't know, praise God. But for whatever reason you're here today, I wanna to tell you the first and the foremost is so that you can meet Jesus. 
So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you wanna give your life, if you wanna make your first step in worship, I want for you to pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I love you. I believe you died for me on the cross. I believe you rose again from the dead. And I wanna live my life for the glory of your name. If you prayed that prayer, then the Bible says that the Spirit of God comes to live inside you and it makes you new. And as your first demonstration of worship, I'm gonna ask you to do something. I'm gonna ask you, those who are watching online and who are in the room on the count of three to lift up your hand and say, I want a new life. I wanna live for something bigger than myself. I want to give my life to Jesus. If that's you, just a bold, daring declaration. Lift your hand up in the air on the count of three. One, two, three. Yeah, come on, can we celebrate together, believing that people here at the Marriott and watching online are meeting Jesus today. And God, I just pray that as we spend some time worshiping today, that you would remind us of how truly worthy you are, that your name is great and greatly to be praised, that like you, there is no other. God, I pray that what begins to happen in here, the heart of worship that begins to build, the devotion that begins to increase, God, I pray that that, that would start to flow out into the streets in our communities, that it would start to show up in our marriages and our friendships and our parenting, and that the world would see the bigness and the beauty of our God. And we ask it in his beautiful name and all God's people said, amen.